From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, combating DME with DARPINs. Uh, a fever set is not an antibody at all. It's a recombinant protein. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. It wasn't all that long ago that you couldn't treat DME, diabetic macular edema, without damaging tissue. Then anti-VEGF agents surfaced, and the therapeutic options continued to expand. New to the campaign are DARPINs, designed anchor and repeat proteins. Peter Campichero recently published results of a study looking at one DARPIN in particular for DME treatment. There are a variety of anti-VEGF agents used for the treatment of diabetic macular edema. Can I get you to run through the structural differences between ranibizumab, bevacizumab, and aflibercept? Sure. Ranibizumab is an FAB antibody fragment. And so it is smaller than bevacizumab and aflibercept. Uh, it doesn't have an FC fragment, so it doesn't stay in the circulation very long. So as a result of its size, it may penetrate a little bit better into retinal tissue. Uh, it exits from the eye a little bit more quickly. Uh, but then when it's in the circulation, it uh, is taken out very quickly. Uh, Bevacizumab is a full-length antibody, Uh, so it has an FC fragment, and it's it's much larger than ranibizumab. So it stays in the eye um, a bit longer. Its half-life is is, uh, maybe five or six days compared to four days for ranibizumab. But then once it gets out into the circulation, it stays there for several weeks. And so as a result, extraocular levels um, are more sustained and higher than with ranibizumab. Uh, Aflibercept is not an antibody at all. It's a recombinant protein that combines the binding domains of VEGF receptor 1 and VEGF receptor 2. but it also has an FC fragment. So uh, it's a bit larger than ranibizumab. Its half-life in the eye is uh, slightly longer. And uh, it also, when it gets out in the circulation, like bevacizumab, uh, stays there for a longer period of time. You know, the, in terms of uh, their activity in neutralizing VEGF, they're all quite good at that. Uh, but they do have different pharmacokinetics. Peter, what is an anchorin repeat protein, and to what extent are these really designed de novo? Okay, well, an anchorin repeat protein is 
a, a protein that occurs normally in the body. Uh, it uses an anchoring motif that is repeated, so it's many hooked up together, and that causes the protein to fold, and so it folds and becomes very compact. Now, it has a constant domain and a variable domain, and the variable domain uh, is the portion that is oriented on the outside of the molecule, and it's that variable domain that is responsible for binding. You know, an endogenous anchor and repeat protein has one particular protein that it binds specifically, just like an antibody does. Protein engineering has allowed uh, the generation of anchor and repeat uh, libraries. And so these are protein, uh, proteins that are uh, generated or synthesized. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole uh, series of these, and they can, the library can be screened uh, so that you can identify designed anchor and repeat proteins that bind to a specific ligand. And when that's done, uh, you can identify one of these synthetic proteins that can be quite good in terms of its specificity and potency for a particular ligand. And so this was done for VEGF, and Molecular Partners uh, is a company that, that developed this technique and they identified a designed anchor and repeat protein that binds uh, very potently and avidly to VEGF. Huh. Peter, can I get you to describe the design of your study? Yeah, so we did a uh, phase 1-2 study in patients with diabetic macular edema investigating the safety and efficacy of designed anchor and repeat protein that specifically binds VEGF. And it was a relatively small study, uh, a dose escalation study. We found that at very low doses of intraocular injection, uh, that there was uh, significant activity in terms of uh, neutralizing VEGF and reducing edema. And we measured the levels of the, the protein and the VEGF by uh, performing anterior chamber taps, and then uh, doing assays. And the remarkable thing about this protein was that uh, it was present in the aqueous uh, for really uh, three months. What was your treatment protocol, and what were your main outcome measures? Okay, the treatment protocol was to do a single injection of the anti-DEGF DARPIN, uh, and then to... Uh, assess with OCT the effect on macular edema over time uh, and, and also to perform anterior chamber taps to measure both the level of the DARPIN and uh, endogenous VEGF. Peter, what were your results? What were your findings? So what we found was that with, uh, in the first two cohorts of uh, three patients each, uh, the first cohort, there was very um, mild activity, uh, reduction of macular edema. And in the second cohort, there was a substantial amount of activity so that all the patients showed a, a substantial reduction in macular edema. And this lasted, um, uh, in general, between four and uh, eight weeks. Uh, we also found that um, in that cohort that uh, there were 
good levels of the of the drug present for out to 12 weeks uh, and good neutralization of VEGF. Now, when we went to higher doses, uh, what we saw was some substantial intraocular inflammation. There was still reduction in edema, uh, but because of the inflammation, uh, it was not as as um, dramatic as in the second cohort. Uh, so, and as we got up to further doses, there was more inflammation. And a concomitant study being done in patients with neovascular AMD uh, also showed evidence of inflammation, uh, and therefore we identified the dose-limiting uh, toxicity, which was inflammation. And how is that manifest, the inflammation? Interchamber cell and flare, as well as vitreous cells. Uh, in several of the patients, it was relatively mild, uh, but in... Um, a couple of the patients, there was more significant inflammation in the vitreous. And was that the only adverse event that you observed? Yes. One of the interesting properties of this modality of treatment is the duration of its effect. But but before we discuss the duration, how does the magnitude of the effect compare with the other approved conventional anti-VEGF agents? So, Josh, maybe I should explain a little bit about the inflammation. Because Please do. One, one of the things um, that is a potential advantage, but at the same uh, at the same time a disadvantage with DARPINs is, unlike uh, many proteins, the DARPINs can be produced in E. coli. Um, most of the antibodies are produced in mammalian cells, which is a, a little bit more difficult. Um, but uh, the one problem with uh, using E. coli as the host is that the host proteins can be quite pro-inflammatory, so it's necessary to really eliminate all of the host proteins. What these early studies showed was that there was uh, efficacy from the DARPIN, but also that uh, there was this inflammation. And when this was looked at, very carefully, it was found that the inflammation was due to some host protein contamination. So although it was thought that the DARPIN had been effectively purified, uh, it had not been. And some additional purification led to a much purer form of the DARPIN. But in this initial study, we did not have that purer form. And so uh, we had counteracting effects. One was the effect of the DARPIN itself, which reduced macular edema. And then at higher doses, this became counteracted by the effect of inflammation, which sort of masked the effect. So for this reason, our biggest effect was in one of the lower cohorts, uh, the second cohort. And then as we increased the dose level, the effect was reduced. So it's not really possible from that study to to determine exactly how uh, it compares to the other anti-VEGF agents. Uh, but with the uh, purer form, the, the, um, the new formulation, uh, a better idea uh, would be obtained as to how it, how it exactly compares. Peter, how close is this agent to gaining FDA approval? Well, it's been licensed by Allergan, and Allergan has performed a phase two trial in patients with neovascular AMD. 
Uh, and uh, so as a result, uh, they're going to release their data uh, at the American Academy of Ophthalmology this year in November. Uh, and that will give us a much better idea um, how it's faring and when it might be approved. Uh, there was uh, a press release which suggested that uh, things have been delayed just a bit. They were hoping to uh, move right into a phase three trial after the results of this phase two were obtained, uh, but the press release suggested that they may need to do some additional phase two studies before uh, embarking on a phase three. Peter, this study represents an early use of DARPINs in ophthalmology. How, however, the appeal of, of DARPINs is, is certainly much more broad. Can I get you to describe in what other applications DARPINs might be used? So DARPINs can be used very much like antibodies. They can be designed to uh, neutralize any particular protein. Uh, and naturally, an extracellular protein is... is uh, the most appropriate target. Uh, so uh, just like antibodies, they could be designed to um, bind PDGFB, and so that's a, a second target which is currently being approached. Um, other proteins that are involved in, in permeability uh, certainly could. Um, and so really any... Uh, any target that you could attack with an antibody could also be approached with uh, DARPIN. Peter, how does the duration of effect of this new agent compare with approved anti-VEGF agents? Well, Josh, we don't completely know just yet, but one of the most intriguing things about uh, the early trial was that we actually did measure the levels of DARPIN in the aqueous and also the neutralization of VEGF. At the highest dose tested, what we found was that in three of four patients, there were levels above the inhibitory concentration uh, 50, the IC50, of the drug at three months after injection. So that's a pretty substantial uh, duration of the drug just being there. In addition, when the VEGF levels were measured, it was found that uh, in those uh, three patients, there was also a marked suppression of the VEGF so that it was um, very low out through three months. So if that pharmacokinetic data pans out, uh, it would suggest that the duration of effect for the DARPIN may be uh, between two and three months or even as long as three months. Uh, and that would be a substantial increase compared to the current drugs that are on the market. Peter Campuchero, thank you so much. You're welcome. Peter Campuchero is professor of ophthalmology and neuroscience in the retina division at the Wilmer Eye Institute at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. His paper, Treatment of Diabetic Macular Edema with a Designed Anchorin Repeat Protein that Binds Vascular Endothelial Growth Factor, a Phase 1-2 study, appears in the April 2013 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. One of our listeners asked a question of one of our past guests, Clive Picard. I'm going to play the listener's question and Dr. Picard's response. Hi, Josh. 
My name is George and I am an ophthalmologist in private practice in Greece. My question is for Dr. Pecker in episode 277 about monovision after cataract surgery. Given that the amount of addition on a glasses prescription for a pseudophagic eye would be around plus 2.5 diopters, why should one target the near eye for minus 1.5 diopters? I love your podcast. Many thanks. In response to George Antonopoulos's question of why the near ad should be only around minus 1.5, the answer is that although in theory this will only give you intermediate vision, which is perfect for a computer, in practice many patients can read extensively with this, although their reading distance may be slightly longer than normal. This also allows the amount of anisometropia between the two eyes to be reduced and makes it quicker for the patient to adapt. In practice, having been carrying out this procedure for the last 30 years, this works extremely well and many of my patients don't wear glasses at all I suggest that he tries this technique. I'm sure he won't be disappointed. Ask questions of Dr. Campachero or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.